How can blockchain potentially improve security of health data, and what are the limitations? I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor of Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with David Holding, Director of Healthcare Privacy and Security at Intel Health and Life Science. David will be discussing the potential he sees for blockchain improving health data security. So, David, very briefly, can you describe how blockchain might be applied in healthcare to improve data privacy and security? You know, the sort of business need that's driving this that we see is the vast majority of healthcare data today is inside these sort of silos and enterprise systems, whether they're EHRs, electronic health record systems, et cetera, radiology labs, you know, these silos, these databases. And there's huge untapped potential in sharing certain types of data in what I call a targeted sense, not necessarily all the data, but certain types of data, there's there's untapped potential to share that in a secure manner to both improve the quality of patient care and reduce the cost of care. And so really that's, that's the business opportunity and business need that's sort of driving the need for how can we do that securely. And blockchain has some some really interesting security capabilities, mostly on the integrity and the availability side that we'll go into. But there's actually a lot of security that you need to put around blockchain. You shouldn't take security for granted with blockchain. And we can talk about some of the additional security elements that need to be in place around blockchain, not just from a non-technical, administrative, physical standpoint, but but even in a technical sense, there's additional technical safeguards that need to be in place to ensure that, that blockchain is adequately secured. It might help, Marianne, if we can just give a little bit of a sort of overview, if you will, of the sort of integration architecture, the deployment architecture. Where does blockchain sit? And we really do not see blockchain as a replacement for a database. Blockchain is more of what we call a B2B middleware. So think of any business-to-business networks in healthcare. For examples are clearinghouses, health information exchanges, or HIEs, drug supply chains, provider credentialing networks, medical device tracking, kind of related to the drug supply chain, but for medical devices and so forth. And so any network of healthcare organizations, networks of covered entities, network of including business associates, you know, and so forth, any sort of network in, in healthcare that exchanges data is, is a potential opportunity for blockchain to add value. So The blockchain technology is a sort of decentralized ledger technology, and so you can think of it as a sort of middleware that sits between these organizations and these healthcare networks, and it delivers additional value by enabling the targeted secure sharing of data. And when I say targeted, I mean where it makes sense from a business standpoint. Blockchain, we don't recommend blockchain as a you know, put all your data on blockchain and figure out later how to use it more. What is the sort of business need? What is the use case? What's the minimal but sufficient data you need to to put on blockchain to enable that use case and the values you're trying to achieve and then go from there? And that's a great way to to mitigate risk as well is obviously if we stick to minimal but sufficient, that in and of itself helps us to to manage the associated risk. Oftentimes, Marianne, the, the blockchain is sort of thought of synonymously with cryptocurrencies. And this is not accurate. Actually, you know, blockchain can deliver value in healthcare completely independent of cryptocurrencies or tokens, like Bitcoin is is an example. You don't have to have any cryptocurrency or value token in blockchain for blockchain to deliver value to healthcare. If blockchain only enables secure 
transfer of data in a targeted manner between these networks of healthcare organizations, it has vast value to deliver to healthcare, again, to improve patient care and reduce the cost of care. That said, it may or may not make sense to have cryptocurrencies or value tokens on blockchain where a certain additional currency or incentive system to incent patients to uh, perform a certain behavior, etc. Um, it may make sense to have those. But think of blockchain nodes. So the nodes in the blockchain network is either sitting in a DMZ or a secure cloud and their nodes are all communicating amongst themselves. And then on the healthcare organization side, the enterprise systems inside the healthcare organization, like the electronic health record systems or the you know labs, radiology, et cetera, they're connecting to these blockchain nodes. Uh, one example would be a secure REST interface, and they can read and write data to you know to and from the blockchain as it makes sense from a business standpoint. So, David, with that said, what are some of the real-world applications or innovations involving blockchain that are starting to be used in health data security? A lot of organizations see the value of blockchain, and they're going to be piloting in 2018, and some of them are are further ahead than others, and they'll hit sort of production implementation sooner. But, you know, one one example is clearinghouses. That's a great use case for blockchain. Traditionally, a clearinghouse has a central entity called a clearinghouse that providers when a medical claim is generated, providers work with the clearinghouse to exchange that with the payers, etc. And, you know, for authorizations, eligibility checks, claims, claim status, remittance advice, etc. These are the kinds of transactions that propagate through a traditional clearinghouse. What blockchain will do there is decentralize that. So the transactions don't need to flow through that sort of single point of failure that the clearinghouse, they go sort of through the peer-to-peer distributed ledgers. That said, there could still be a role for the clearinghouse to play in sort of enabling organizations to connect to the blockchain and the governance and securing and support and so forth. So we don't see it as disintermediating per se. It's more changing the role of the central organization. But those are the sort of applications. Now, there's certain security that comes with blockchain, and that's mostly on the integrity side and the availability side. Can you tell us a little bit about how blockchain can improve the integrity and availability of health data? On the integrity side, you know, we're, we're trying to ensure that data is accurate, complete, and up-to-date, and rather that we're protecting the integrity of data, we assume that the data that goes on the blockchain is good quality. If, if people put garbage on blockchain, of course, we can protect garbage with security, but it's still garbage. But assuming the data that goes on blockchain is, is good data, what we want to do is protect the accuracy, completeness, and the up-to-date nature of the data. Blockchain is, is really a blank canvas, first off. There's a huge amount of flexibility into what data you put on it and, and in what format. Actually, it's, it's like a chain of sort of mini blank canvases, if you will, with each block representing a blank canvas that can take some data. And they're chained together with this notion of hash codes. So each block can be hashed to generate a hash code and actually, each block can be a hash can be generated from the data on each block of the blockchain, and that hash code is generated not just from the data on that block, but from the hash code of the previous block. So hash codes are kind of chained in that manner. And the reason this is done is to uh, protect the integrity of the data on the blockchain. And what this means is that if after some data has been put on the blockchain, if a malicious individual, for example, was to try to delete data that's on the blockchain or change data that's already on the blockchain, that would immediately invalidate the hash codes and the chain of hash codes, and those invalid changes would not propagate. So blockchain has this notion of immutability on the sort of integrity protection side, 
and really it means changes to or compromise integrity is very easy, detectable, and correctable. That can present some challenges as far as patients' right to review and amend data or any data that needs to be changed periodically because once it's on the blockchain, it doesn't change, period. Now, you can introduce updated versions of data on the blockchain that sort of supersede the original, but if you put data on the blockchain, it stays on the blockchain as is for the lifetime of that blockchain. So we need to think about these kind of things up front. Uh, the other thing is, you know, in some geographies, there's this notion of a, a patient's right to be forgotten and the integrity protection or the immutability can be an issue there because if you have to sort of delete or de-identify a, a patient because they want to be forgotten, then if a blockchain is immutable, that's a problem, right? You can't do that without invalidating a blockchain. So for that reason, you want to be conscious of these kind of regulatory constraints, data protection law constraints that may exist as you design the blockchain, and that can influence what you put on the blockchain versus what you leave off the blockchain. For example, if you had a need to support the, the patient's right to be forgotten, then uh, what you might want to do is keep your PII or personally identifiable information off of the blockchain in a separate database that is referenced by the blockchain. So you could have a sort of opaque, meaningless, unique pointer for a patient that you use on the blockchain or a token, an identity token, and it maps in secure access controlled database off blockchain to the actual PII of the patient. Then if that patient needs to be forgotten, you can delete the PII and that token, uh, that identity identifier, if you will, it, it's effectively de-identified and you can support the, the right to be forgotten in that way. But that's the integrity. Um, not a whole lot more to do with blockchain from an integrity standpoint, but on the availability side, there's quite a bit to, to think about. So with availability, we're protecting the timely and reliable access to systems and data. And so blockchain has this notion of decentralized ledgers, really a, a network of blockchain nodes. And if one or even several blockchain nodes go down or they're DDoSed, uh, distributed denial of service attack, if they go down in any way, you know, the blockchain network as a whole can live on. But, you know, for a given healthcare organization, as they sort of move from pilot to production use of blockchain, they also need to protect not just the sort of availability of the overall blockchain network, but their availability of their particular connection to that blockchain network. And a given healthcare organization is going to connect to the blockchain network through their blockchain node. So think of a particular machine or virtual machine that runs the blockchain software that they're connecting to. And if that is not accessible or, you know, it's not timely access, then that sort of cuts off that organization's access to the blockchain. And as, you know, blockchains move into production and are used for more and more mission critical stuff, you need to think about protecting the availability. And the way you can do that over and above the sort of availability protections already baked into blockchain is you can have redundant nodes, redundant blockchain nodes. You can deploy those across different sort of failover zones. You can have load balancing up front of those blockchain nodes and, you know, automatic failover. You can have redundant network connectivity to the nodes. You can use sort of persistent high availability message queues from the uh, enterprise systems to the blockchain nodes. So if the, if the EHR is trying to pump a new sort of transaction onto the blockchain and the blockchain's inaccessible for whatever reason, that message can be captured in a sort of persistent high availability message queue. And then as the blockchain becomes accessible, it can sort of unwind those transactions onto the blockchain. The last thing on the availability side is we talked about how if you have a blockchain network and, and certain nodes go down, the blockchain network as a whole lives on. And, you know, when those nodes come back up, they can sort of recover and, and get a consistent and valid blockchain sort of decentralized ledger. So there's a notion of a deployment architecture here. If, if all of the nodes of the blockchain 
of a particular blockchain network are deployed on the same sort of fail zone, so in the same sort of data center, then, and if that particular data center goes down or becomes inaccessible for whatever reason, every single one of your blockchain nodes is in that data center, well, then your entire blockchain network's going down. So it's really important to think about the deployment architecture of your blockchain network and where you're locating your blockchain nodes and be aware of sort of failover zones and, and these kind of availability questions, especially as, you know, healthcare organizations are considering blockchain for sort of production use and mission-critical sort of use cases. And briefly, David, please tell us a little bit about what blockchain can do in terms of protecting data, privacy, and confidentiality for patient data. So we talked about the integrity and availability. And, you know, on the confidentiality and privacy side, there's there's a lot of things you've got to do in addition to what you get with, with blockchain. In particular, one of the biggest decisions you're going to make is what data you put on the blockchain versus what remains off the blockchain. And in general, what we're advising is minimal but sufficient. So whatever you need to support your target use cases, but no more. So keep your information that's on the blockchain minimal but sufficient. By all means, use pointers pointing to off-chain data. Use hash codes to verify integrity of off-chain data. But otherwise, metadata on the blockchain to support things like discovery and record location and you know transactional history. That's one of the most important things you can do to protect privacy and confidentiality is minimal but sufficient putting of information on the blockchain. The other key decision is, are you using a private or consortium blockchain or a public blockchain? If you're using a private or consortium blockchain, then you essentially have your own sort of private blockchain amongst a well-known group of healthcare organizations versus using a very public blockchain where a lot more unknown organizations may have access. In general, we think most of the healthcare blockchains are going to be private or consortium blockchains, and that'll really help mitigate risk from a confidentiality and privacy standpoint. The next one is permissioning. So a permissioned blockchain can introduce permissions, kind of like role-based access control, but on the level of an organization. And so some organizations can be just readers, some can be readers and writers, some can be validators, et cetera, and that's called permissioning. That's another way of sort of protecting blockchains. Data can be encrypted on the blockchain with various symmetric or asymmetric, like PKI-type techniques. Lastly, I would say compliance is one of those things you got to think about. And when it comes to compliance, again, what data you're putting on the blockchain, is it PII, is it PHI or protected healthcare information? Where are your blockchain nodes located? Are they located all in the US or some Europe? You know, that's going to influence what data protection laws or regulations are applicable from a compliance standpoint. And if you have nodes located across countries or across sort of regulatory zones like European Union and U.S., you know, you could have data sovereignty challenges and sort of trans-border data flow issues that you need to think about. You may not have them immediately when you do your pilot or short-term growth, but long-term, if you grow your sort of blockchain network by introducing new nodes and new regulatory zones, you could have trans-border data flow. So it's really important to think about, again, what data you put on, what are the regulatory considerations, and then where are the nodes going to be, long, short-term and long-term? Because if you put a new node in some new country, all of the data on the blockchain gets replicated to that new node, and then you have to think about what's the impact from a compliance standpoint there. And David, can you tell us briefly what Intel is doing in terms of working with blockchain to help healthcare organizations? So there's this notion of sort of adequacy with blockchain networks. And so we all know when a coveted entity connects with business associates and business associate has a 
a breach, you know, that reflects badly on them and the covered entity, and we need to do whatever we can to mitigate that kind of risk. Now, in blockchain, you know, that takes sort of collaboration with other covered entities and business associates to a whole new level, right? And so if, let's say you have one organization, we'll call it the source healthcare organization, connects to a blockchain, that organization puts some data on the blockchain. By the way, the data you put on blockchain, it doesn't have to be the actual data. It can be metadata and it can be, you know, that metadata can include a pointer to the original data and, you know, a hash code to verify the integrity of the original data sort of off chain. But let's say a source organization puts data on the blockchain and that information is discovered by another separate healthcare organization on the same blockchain network and that separate organization, let's call that the target organization, they pull that data from the source organization. You know, they discover it, locate the data through the blockchain, then pull the data securely from the, the sort of source organization. Then let's say the target organization has a breach. That's obviously going to reflect badly on them, but it, it could also reflect badly on the, you know, impact the blockchain network as a whole and the originating or source organization. So this is for this reason it's really important to think you know when we're talking about securing blockchain not just securing the blockchain itself actually blockchains are, are pretty mature and secure i mean they've been used under bitcoin for some time now you know there have been breaches in bitcoin but it's not so much the blockchain that's that's been the point of compromise it's the endpoints so the the wallets and the exchanges the stuff that connect to the blockchain have been the points of attack and compromise so when we're securing blockchains you need to think about the blockchain itself and what data we put on it and all that good stuff, but also the nodes, where, where the actual nodes running the software that implements the sort of decentralized ledgers of the blockchain, are they secure? We need to think about the enterprise systems that are connecting to those nodes, are they secure? We need to be thinking about the organizations participating in the blockchain network and are they secure? So there's this notion of adequacy and you know, if you're connecting, let's say you're participating in a sort of private or consortium blockchain where you have 10 different healthcare organizations connecting to a given blockchain. This notion of adequacy is you know, if one of them is severely lagging in security, lagging the other nine, then that one organization becomes a sort of weak point or a weak sort of link in the chain, if you will that is is a vulnerability for the overall network and if they have a breach it could impact the whole network so there's this notion of adequacy and benchmarking the the security of different organizations in that sort of group that network that's set connecting to the blockchain and uh, so one of the things intel's doing is healthcare security readiness program where we now have almost 175 uh, healthcare organizations across nine countries participating and what they're doing with this program is benchmarking their security against peers in the industry through this sort of one hour complimentary confidential benchmark workshop done by intel or one of our partners they can get a detailed report that shows them how their security compares. Are they lagging and relatively vulnerable? And if so, what are the specific capabilities they're lagging and uh, they get a chance to proactively remediate. So through this sort of benchmarking, sort of proactive detection of weak points and uh, proactive remediation, the, the weak points in a given blockchain network could be addressed and security brought on par with the rest of the network. And in that way, we can, we can ensure adequate security throughout and pave the way for a successful blockchain, mitigate risk of breaches and uh, enable the blockchain to deliver the, the expected benefits. In contrast, you know, if, if we have breaches like what we discussed, that could tarnish and gator or at least impede the sort of growth of, of blockchain and realizing the uh, associated benefits. Thanks, David. I've been speaking to David Holding of Intel. I'm Marianne Kolbasak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.